It's a reminder you have to come God's way. It's a reminder then that God's way is what? Grace, right? If we're going to come to the Lord, we have to come on the basis of his grace. Jesus is not just a good man. Jesus is God from all eternity. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We cannot budge an inch on this Christian truth. Jesus was fully man, but he's also fully God. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. I'm your host, Nate Elliott, as we join Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Exodus. We have seen God give the children of Israel his moral law and their civil law, revealing his holiness and love to all people. For the past few chapters, God has been giving Moses the ceremonial laws. This includes how they were to worship, where they were to worship, and who would be responsible for administering the sacrifices and rituals that all points to God's righteousness and grace. We left off with the garments that the priests were to wear for service. We join Pastor Will in Exodus chapter 28, verse 30. But remember, in chapter 28, Moses began to receive instructions for the priests. God had made three promises to the nation of Israel. He'd bring them out of Egypt, he'd bring them into the promised land, and then he'd have a relationship with them. He'd be their God, and they would be his people. And so God is establishing how that relationship is going to be. In in Exodus 24, they ratified the blood covenant together. The elders went up on the mountain, they fellowshiped with God, and then Moses went into the big, huge cloud, and he began to receive the instructions for the mode of worship. It would be through the tabernacle and then the servants in the tabernacle that would make that possible as we we began last uh, week was learning about the priesthood. So in chapter 28, he he says, and take thou unto you, verse one, Aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. And so we see that that they were chosen to serve in this capacity to go uh, at the job of the priest, to go on behalf of of the people before, uh, on behalf of the people before God and go on behalf of God before the people as a mediator, so to speak. But to do that, Aaron would need, the Bible says in verse 2, holy garments for glory and for beauty, that he might be able to serve and not die. And so we begin looking at the, the various garments. Um, in fact, the priesthood really consists of, of two parts, um, how they must approach God and then how they will serve God. We're into that how they're going to approach God part right now um, because we're learning about what they would have to put on before they could go in and serve the Lord. Now, this gets to the heart of a priest's job when we look at all these things, um, which shed light, sheds light on the claim that Jesus is our high priest. And so, like the tabernacle, we're going to be looking to see how these shadows find their substance in Jesus in order that we might worship him properly. And so we looked at the ephod. That was kind of like the suspenders, you know, that he wore, almost kind of like a, an oversized tank top that he would wear. And it was various colors. It was very colorful. And that spoke of the Lord's incarnation. And in particular, remember, he carried on his shoulder. The thing that kept all the parts in place was the two stones. And each stone had six tribes of the nation of Israel. And the idea that he would carry the nation of Israel on his shoulders before the Lord. And, and the idea being there that Jesus, our high priest, he goes, 
goes before us into the Holy of Holies and has made the way. He carried us on his, on, on his shoulders. Um, then we looked at the breastplate. Then that's almost like a, just a breast piece. It's, it's a, like a, a, a thing that had stones in it. And, and that represented each of the tribes of Israel, one stone for each tribe. And it showed out, not only does God carry us all on his heart, uh, Jesus carry us all on his heart when he died for us on the cross, but he carries us individually on his heart as well. Well, now in verse 30, we're going to begin looking at the Urim and the Thummim. So why don't we pick it up there in verse 30 of Exodus chapter 28. And you're going to want to keep your finger in Hebrews because we will be going back there quite often. So Exodus 28, verse 30. And you shall put in the breastplate of judgment the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be upon Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord, and Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel upon his heart before the Lord continually. So remember when we talked about the breastplate, it was a garment, so to speak, that had these stones you know, sewn into it, into sockets inside, but it was folded up. So it had a pouch inside of it. So he'd wear this thing, and it was attached with golden chains to the same stones here, and then attached, we saw at the bottom, on a, a blue ribbon uh, that represented God's grace. And so we see that this, in this breastplate here, it forms a pouch, and inside this pouch, he says, you'll put inside of it uh, the breastplate of judgment, the breastplate of decision is what the word judgment mare means, the urim and the thummim. Now, what are the urim and the thummim? Well, the word urim means lights, plural. Anytime you have im at the end of it, a word, a Hebrew word, it makes it plural. That's why Elohim is a plural word. Interesting, the Trinity is even found in the name of God, that Elohim. Do you understand what I'm saying? El is the word for, singular word for God, but Elohim is actually a compound unity word. Um, thumim or thumim means perfection. So lights and perfections. Take lights and perfections and put them inside the breastplate of judgment. Now, no one knows exactly what they were. Tradition, Jewish tradition states they were two stones, one white and one black. In fact, if you Google it, you can find all sorts of pictures of what they look like. But whatever they were, they were placed inside the pocket created by the breastplate being folded. And when the high priest would consult God about an important decision, he would get his answer by which one he pulled out. So to see that in action, turn to Numbers chapter 27 with me. We'll get a more detailed description elsewhere, but I just want to give you the explanation here. As Moses is passing the torch to Joshua, God says that in verse 19, and set him, that's Joshua, before Eliezer the priest. Aaron has already died by this point, so his son Eliezer has taken over the job. Set him before the, Eliezer the priest and before all the congregation and give him a charge in their sight. And you shall put some of your honor upon him so that as Moses is fading out, Joshua is coming into that position. You should put some of your honor upon him that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. It's a good model for transition. Verse 21, And he shall stand before Eliezer the priest, who shall ask counsel for him after the judgment of Urim before the Lord. At his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in, both he and all the children of Israel with him, even all the congregation." So the idea is when Joshua would need to know what did the Lord want to do in a situation, he would go to the high priest and the high priest would consult the Lord and then he would pull, pull, out, pull in and he would pull out a stone and that would give him the answer. Now in the Middle East, it was common to, and I say stone, we don't know for sure, I'm just using that as an example. In the Middle East, it was common to use a black or white stone when casting lots or rendering judgment. So it fits if that's the case as Jewish tradition states. 
Now, if the accused received a black stone, it meant guilty, and the white stone meant innocent. And while this makes the most sense, we, of course, can't be sure. I can, however, tell you what they weren't with certainty. They were not special stones set in glasses that you would wear to translate lost scriptures. I bring this up. You say, what are you talking about, Will? I bring this up because Joseph Smith, who is the founder of the Mormons, he claimed that he found lost scriptures on golden plates, and they just happened to be tucked in with a pair of glasses on a kill in New York. And thus Mormonism was founded and the Book of Mormon born. He said that these glasses had stones inside of them, the Urim and the Thummim, and that through that he could translate scriptures that had been lost, and that's where the Book of Mormon came about. Now, what's interesting is that if you read excerpts of the original text of the Book of Mormon, they have some of them in Utah, they actually are translated part, they are, are parts of the Egyptian Book of the Dead. They have nothing to do with scripture here. Uh, but he said it was a, a form of, of reformed hieroglyphics that no one knew, and only he could read them with the glasses, which, you know, is a, quite a convenient way to become the authority of all truth. I like prefer things that other people can actually question, and they can say, you know, Will, you said this about this, but I'm reading in my Bible, it says this. That way, the scriptures are the authority, and we are not the authority as fallible human beings. So that's what it was not, I can tell you that for sure. Now, you might be saying, so Will, that's how they figured out God's will. They would reach in and they'd pull something out and that would tell them what it was. Some even critique the Bible by saying it borrowed from paganism in this. But seeing them in action reveals that the answer was far more than just a yes or no from the stone. See, the high priest would pull out one to get the simple answer, but then he would receive a more detailed answer from the Lord. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30 with me, and I think you'll see this has nothing in common with the pagan rite of casting lots. The Bible calls Satan a counterfeiter. The Bible is not a copier. Satan is a counterfeiter. 1 Samuel 30. David was in a situation where he did not know what to do. And so in 1 Samuel 30, verse 7, David said to Abiathar, the priest, Ahimelech's son, saying, I pray you, bring me hither the ephod. Now remember, the ephod contained the breastplate on top of it, and then the pouch inside would have the urim and the thummim. So he's saying, bring me everything. When he says the ephod, it's all connected. You don't get different parts. He says, bring me hither the ephod. And so Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David. And David inquired at the Lord, saying, shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he, being the, the priest, answered him, saying, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. Now, last I checked, if you pull out, draw lots like straws, I don't pull out a straw and it says, you know, has a message from God on there for me. So the idea was, is the stone would confirm, or whatever the, the, the Urim and the Thummim were, it would confirm what the priest had laid on his heart. The priest would begin to pray and he would say, Lord, what do you want us to do? And God would speak to him and lay something on his heart. And then to confirm it, he would reach in and he'd pull it out and say, you know, the Lord told me to do this. Now, if it was contradictory, then he would go seek the Lord and he would have to find out exactly what the Lord wanted him to do. But it wasn't. And so I think it's amazing here. He's, shall I pursue after this troop? It wasn't yes or no. It was, oh, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. That's a pretty detailed answer, much more so than just a yes or no. Now, you might be saying, okay, Will, but how do the Urim and the Thummim point to Jesus? Well, Jesus is light and perfection. Turn to John chapter 1 with me. You guys are probably very familiar with the text. Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was, exists life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, 
And the darkness, comprehend is what the King James says, but apprehend, to lay hold of. It did not apprehend him. Jesus was light and perfection, and the darkness had no grasp upon him. You know, it's interesting. Once Jesus ascended to heaven, and he took upon the role, our role as great high priest, he, he sent someone to guide us into all truth, didn't he? Look at John 16 with me. We don't have to consult stones anymore, or whatever they were, not glasses. John 16, verse 7. Jesus going about to take on that role of great high priest. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. How be it, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he should not speak of himself. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. Isn't that awesome? See, Jesus went to, to, to seated at the right hand of the Father to be our great high priest, and he sent the Holy Spirit to be our Urim and our Thummim to guide us to an understanding of his word so that we can do his will. Isn't that awesome? And if the stone theory is true, then Revelation 2.17 makes a whole lot more sense. For in Revelation 2.17, speaking to overcomers, it says, He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. To him that overcomes will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone. And in the stone, a new name written, which no man knows, saving he that receives it. You know, we have been acquitted by the work of our great high priest. We've been declared not guilty. We've been given an innocent stone. And now that stone, it says, will have our name written on it in the same way that we'll know he carried our name on his heart heart when he went in there before the Lord and presented his own blood as a sacrifice for our sins, not just as the world, but as individuals too. Back to Exodus 28. So we've seen the ephod, which like I said, was kind of like a, an oversized tank top. And then the breastplate went right on top of that. The urim and the thummim went inside the breastplate. But now we move to the next garment. That was all one piece. All of that was one piece. In verse 31, we come to the robe. And you shall make the robe of the ephod all of blue, and there shall be a hole in the top of it, in the middle thereof. It shall have a binding of woven work round about the hole of it, as it were the hole of a habergeon, that it may be not rent. And beneath upon the hem of it you shall make pomegranates of blue, and of purple, and of scarlet, round about the hem thereof, and bells of gold between them round about, a golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate upon the hem of the robe round about. And it shall be upon Aaron to minister, and his sound shall be heard when he goes in unto the holy place before the Lord, and when he comes out, that he die not. So here we now get to the robe, and the robe would be underneath the ephod. The ephod would go on top of it. The robe would be the primary garment that you would see him wear, but the ephod would provide all sorts of color between the golden chain, the golden interwoven within the ephod, the golden metal thread interwoven with the other yarns in the ephod, and then of course the breastplate and the stones. But the robe would be the, the regular garment that he would wear. It mentions here that it would be a sleeveless outer robe, but the opening for the head was almost similar to a piece of armor. It mentions here that you would make it all of blue, but there should be a hole in the top of it, in the middle of it, and it shall have a binding or a band or a rim or an edge. It says in the middle, and it'll be 
as it were, the whole of a habergeon or a leather cuirass. That would be a, a piece of armor that would be worn by a soldier back in that day. So the opening for the head was similar to a piece of armor with a metal rim so it couldn't tear. It reached down all the way to the knees from which would dangle, we see here in verse 33, interchanging pomegranates and bells. Now, they weren't real pomegranates. They would be likenesses of pomegranates made out of the three different colors of yarn, the blue, the scarlet, and the purple. And so you would have in between the pomegranates that would be on the bottom of it. So it'd almost be like he had, you know, like a, like a dress, so to speak, but a robe. And at the bottom of it, the robe, you would have like these little puffs and, and little puff balls and little puff balls of yarn. And in between them, you would have golden bells. And so, you know, you would have a a bell and then a little red little puff and then a a bell and then a blue puff and then a a bell and then a purple puff, you know, and that's that's how it was. So I bet you never heard it described that way before. (laughs) And the pomegranates would serve as cushions so the bells weren't banging against each other in a discordant fashion. You would hear the chiming of the bell, but independent of them banging against each other because of the cushion that the pomegranates, the little puffs would serve in between. So the ephod and the breastplate would be placed over this. And so you would see the high priest in a mostly blue robe, but then with the multicolored ephod and breastplate over his chest and waist. And verse 35 gives the reason why he wore this. It says it will be on Aaron to minister. So Aaron was never to serve in his own clothes. You know, he couldn't just come and put the ephod on and be like, I'm ready to go, guys, you know, and, you know, and he had his, you know, whatever shirt, you know, he wanted to wear and jeans. He had to wear this blue robe. And, you know, and, and this reminded Israel that they could not approach God their way. It had to be God's way. You couldn't just come your way. You couldn't go how, come how you wanted to come. You had to come his way. But then it mentions here that it would be, if he would be in, so he could go into the holy place before the Lord, that, and, and he could go in and come out, and his sound would be heard so that he does not die. So now remember, we talked last week about how the, the blue in the ephod spoke of grace. Remember we talked about how God told them to make the blue tassels at the bottom of their garments to remind them to keep the commandments because right before that, the guy had been out picking up sticks in the Sabbath and they had to kill him. And so God said, my law is serious. My sin is serious. It's a big deal. We don't realize how serious it is, but I don't want to judge sin. I want to be gracious. So he he gave the blue tassels as a reminder. So blue has always been a symbol of grace to the people of Israel. So the solid blue here, the whole robe is made all of blue. No other colors there. And there it speaks of God's way. Remember, after we wear this, it's a reminder you have to come God's way. It's a reminder then that God's way is what? Grace, right? If we're going to come to the Lord, we have to come on the basis of his grace. See, if the high priest came on the basis of his own merit, his own goodness, he'd die. But if he came by grace through faith, God accepted his service. Now, it's interesting when we see the pomegranates down there, you might think, why a pomegranate and not an apple or something else? But the pomegranate is one of the most precious fruits in the Near East. In fact, Song of Solomon has numerous references to the beauty and the good taste of the pomegranate. When the spies went in under Joshua to go find out if the land was good, they came back. You, you hear about what? The big vine clusters of grapes, right? Grapes the size of your head? Not really, but that's what, you know, that's how VeggieTales did it. But 
But it, one, the thing that doesn't get known is it also mentions they brought back a huge stack of pomegranates. And they said, this is a, this is a good land. They eat one of these. So the pomegranate was a sign of prosperity. In fact, I think it's in Micah. No, it's in Joel, where, where God is pronouncing judgment upon the nation. And one of the reasons the prophet knows that is all our pomegranates are gone. You know? <laughs> so it was always a symbol of the, the good land and its prosperity there. So uh, as such, the pomegranate was a sign of God's grace upon the nation. So again, the whole garment spoke of grace, that they would only be able to approach on the basis of God's goodness, not the basis of their own merit. Now, while he was serving inside the tabernacle, can you imagine what that sound would be? You just hear that soft tinkling of the bells going back and forth, but in between the, the softness of those you know, little yarn puffs of pomegranates, you know, that they would, it would jingle and jangle, but in a sweet sound, not a, not a clanging sound, but in a kind of a sweet chime type of sound. And so while they were serving inside the tabernacle, none of the Israelites would be able to see them, but they could hear the beautiful tinkling of the bells against the soft pomegranates, and they would know that God had accepted their worship. Because that's what it says here. And his sound shall be heard when he goes in to the holy place. You would hear that and you would know God was okay with his people. That God had accepted his people and was accepting their worship. So how does that point to Jesus? Well, we've talked about how blue also speaks of divinity. We talked about how blue speaks of divinity. That red is the word for clay. It speaks of the earth. Purple refers to the incarnation. So the pomegranates then represent the incarnation again because they're made of purple, red, and blue. But I find it interesting that the robe is to be made in such a way that it cannot be torn. Jesus did become man. The incarnation is real. He was 100% man. But you can never rip an ounce of deity from Jesus. Even though Satan has tried to deceive people for centuries on this Christian truth, we cannot budge an inch. Jesus is not just a good man. Jesus is God from all eternity. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. In the beginning, in arche, is what that, the word arche, it means beyond the horizon, in all eternity. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. The idea is wherever God was, that's where Jesus was. And if God is eternal and Jesus was always with him, then by default, Jesus has to be God. Otherwise, we have multiple deities, right? He has to be God. In him was life. People say, well, how do you prove that Jesus is God? John 1.1. 1, 1. I skip it and go right to John 1.3. In him was life. Can any of you make that claim? I can't make that claim. I don't have the ability to create life. You know, it was interesting. My, my middle son, is he's, he's intelligent, and so he asks hard questions. He was asking a question about batteries. He said, Dad, he said, uh, he said, why do batteries start running out? Why do they just start dying? Like, if you don't use them, why do they just decay? Why do they do that? And I explain how things decay. And he goes, well, where does it go? Because he knows that and mass and energy cannot be created or destroyed, right? That's the first law of thermodynamics. The idea, he's trying to ask me and go, where does it go? And I'm going, I don't know. <laughs> ask Justin and Danielle, you know? <laughs> when I first got here a couple years ago, in fact, it's just a little over two years, I made a joke. I said, well, it's not rocket science. And as someone looked at me and said, you know, be careful with that, Will, because for some people go here, it is rocket science. <laughs> I don't have the ability to create. I don't have the ability to give life. I don't have that function, but Jesus, it's not just he can give it, it's that Life was the light of men, but it exists in him. In him exists life. Only God can do that. We cannot budge an inch on this Christian truth. Jesus was fully man, but he's also fully God. Well, it also speaks of grace. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you are saved, right? For by grace you are saved through faith. 
And that none of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You know, we are saved through grace, by faith through grace. When we, by grace, yeah, by faith through grace. When we come to our great high priest, we approach, the Bible says, a throne of grace, right? Hebrews 4.16. Let us come boldly before his what? Throne of grace. That we might find mercy and grace to help in our time of need. You know, this serves as a wonderful reminder that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So let's come in faith on the basis of grace, not thinking God owes us anything. You know, one of the quickest ways to get your prayer not answered is to come to God and go, now God, I've worked very hard for this. I've been very faithful. And you know, and I'm asking you for something because you're always gonna come up short on that end. Okay, God says, let's weigh it out. You're always gonna come up far short on that. But if you pray and you say, Lord, I don't deserve anything but I'm asking you in the basis of the fact that you made this promise to me. Or Lord, your character is such, you know, that it's in accordance with this. Or Lord, I believe this is something you'd want to do. And so I ask you, not because I deserve it, but because you're good and you love me and and I know you're gracious. And so I humble myself and I, I ask for help. Will you please pour out your grace upon me and bless me in this area or answer me in this area? That's a good way to get prayer answered. Not with a no. (laughs) I think this is also a beautiful illustration of a great promise we have. You know, we don't see Jesus now. Hebrews chapter 2 says that. We don't see him yet. But we do have his word, which rings out to us with a sweet song of our acceptance by his grace, right? Every time I crack it open and I hear his voice, that still, small voice, and I think, why are you even talking to me? Like, I don't deserve to be talked to right now. I deserve the hand, (laughs) you know? You know, I deserve the Lord to go, you didn't have time for me yesterday or earlier today or whatever, you know, it might have been, but now you want to talk to me? You know, I deserve the hand. And and yet that that still, small, gentle, not a clanging, nasty, you know, know, chaotic type of discordant sound, but that still, small voice that he speaks to me through his word, even though I can't see him, you know, that I'm accepted by his grace. It reminds me of that. And I encourage you, when that sound seems faint to you, remember to dig into his word and cling to his promises because he's speaking, (laughs) he's speaking. Jesus is our high priest. He goes before us to God and intercedes on our behalf. When God looks at us, he sees Jesus' perfect righteousness instead of our own sin. What an amazing priest! This is all by the grace of God, a gift God has given us to draw us near to Him. While we are in this time of a global pandemic, don't be afraid to call and ask for assistance or for prayer. Our office may be closed, but you can still reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.